Welcome to the short stuff. I'm Josh and there's Chuck, just a couple of mellow dudes about to talk about one of the worst public health disasters in American history. All right. That's right. And this one came about because we were just talking about this in a full length episode. Mm -hmm. And little Joshy said, hey, we should do a short stuff on that thing. And bada bing, bada boom. Two days later, we're doing it. Yeah. Not even two days. I think it's the next day. Yeah. In podcast land time. Oh, sure. I think so it just came out. Yeah, we activated our immediate response team, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> yeah. which is us. <laughs> yes. And we're going to do one on the uh, elixir sulfonylamide disaster. Okay. Sure. All right. How would you say it? Sulfo- sulfonylamide? That's what I'm going with. All right. Hey, man, potato, potato, sulfonylamide, sulfonylamide. Let's call the whole thing off. Exactly. Which, I, by the way, I know this is a short stuff, so there's really no no time to discourse, but I hate that song. The Let's Call a Whole Thing Off? Yeah. Hate it. Yeah. I told you, I think, one time about uh, my friend Andrew in Los Angeles, whose friend auditioned with that song mm-hmm. for a big musical production. Okay. And, and had never heard it, really, and didn't realize that you were supposed <laughs> to say them differently, so... <laughs> you say tomato, and I say tomato. <laughs> <laughs> you just seen the, the sheet music? I guess so. I mean, That's that was awesome. the story. I don't know if it checks out, but it's Sounds pretty funny. Sounds like an Andy Kaufman performance <laughs> art piece. So we're not talking about that. We're talking. We're going back to 1937, uh, back in the time where there was such a thing as the FDA. There was something called the 1906 uh, Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act. No, food, Pure Food and Drug Act, sorry, of 1906, which we talked about yesterday. Um, and one of the things that it did was it said, there is this thing, this Bureau of Chemistry, that will become the FDA. But they're just kind of there. They're not really good at what they do yet because we don't have the regulation to let them do what they do. And so under that context... The idea of um, medicines was pretty much like the Wild West in America at the time. Yes, I think that's putting it very kindly. Yeah. Uh, Earlier in that same decade, there was a microbiologist named Gerhard Domach and said, hey, I made a great discovery. This compound, uh, sulfonylamide or nilamide, acts as an antibiotic against strep and we can help strep throat. And pharmaceutical company said, this is great. Let's pump out this powder and these tablets. Mm-hmm. And then someone at uh, the Massengill, the S.E. Massengill Pharmaceutical Company out of Tennessee said, you know what? People really want this in liquid form. Get to work. Yeah. There was a guy, the chief chemist was uh, Dr. Harold Watkins. And he started, you know, getting to work because they told him to. And that was his job. And that was that. And so um, he started um, tinkering around. He needed a solvent, something to dissolve the powdered sulfonylamide into a solution, water, because it doesn't just automatically dissolve. So he used the solvent uh, diethylene glycol. <laughs> and he ended up coming up, yeah, just, just seeing that on a label somewhere. Wouldn't you be like, I'm going to second guess this decision. How about this no. deadly poison? He went whole hog on it, and so he came up with elixir sulfonylamide, which was 10% sulfonylamide, the antibiotic, 16% water, and 72% diethylene glycol. Yeah, which a gave lot it a of that. Su- yeah, and it gave it a sweet flavor, so the taste was good. It gave it a pinkish hue. He added a little bit of raspberry extract and said, let's hit the market. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess I kind of 
spoiled it a second ago, but it is a deadly poison. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned in the other episode, it's related to antifreeze, which is not good to drink. And yeah. it kills you in horrific ways. It it really wrecks uh, your kidney. Uh, your kidneys will eventually shut down, but along the way, um, you will be vomiting and agitated and have seizures and convulsions, terrible, intense pain, um, unrelenting pain. And they didn't know this because they didn't care, carry out any tests on this stuff, not just to make it, but to sell it. They didn't even test it out before they put it on the shelves, mainly because the law didn't say you had to at the time. No, but did you see that quote about um, – Yeah. <laughs> that described the Massingill Company? I think even among, you know, under the law, they they were kind of seen as renegades, right? Yeah, the quote was from the investigator. Apparently, they just throw drugs together, and if they don't explode, they're placed on sale. <laughs> <laughs> and that's at that time, like in the 30s, right? So the Massingill Company, they made 240 gallons initially of elixir sulfonilamide of this deadly, deadly poison and started shipping it around the country as medicine uh, in September of 1937. And within just a couple of weeks, the first deaths were starting to be uh, reported. Yeah, and, and it wasn't like... <laughs> These days where they find something like, oh, this could cause a risk of cancer down the road. Mm. Like you drink this stuff and you die. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, was really, that bad. Yeah. So I say we take a um, I, we take a, a break. The sulfonilamide elixir is out there. It's starting to kill people. And we need to get some commercial messages in. <laughs> All right, so Chuck, the AMA was around at the time. It was our poison control episode. Remember we said the yeah. AMA was formed in part as a response to this idea that people were being poisoned and, right. and didn't know why? <laughs> so the AMA, like, they were keeping track of sulfonilamide, but they had not heard of this S.E. Massengill stuff, and they started getting reports of people taking it and dying from it, and they wanted to get to the bottom of that toot sweet. Yeah, so they called them up, and they said, hey, well, you mind just— uh Send over that ingredient list our way. And uh, Mass and Gill did. And here's the thing. They didn't really realize at the time what the deal was. Like, they had to do all these. They weren't like, wait a minute. It's got diethylene glycol in it. Yeah, uh, there you go. That's what's killing people because it was uh, had only been around, I think, less than a decade or so. Mm -hmm. And obviously, they didn't know or they wouldn't have used that. Like, I don't think they willfully tried to kill people. No, no, certainly not. Uh, but the AMA, you know, they had to do tests and they started sort of ruling things out. And they eventually found out that like, yeah, 70, whatever, 2% of this stuff is is a deadly poison. And we need to start getting the message out to newspapers and radios mm -hmm. and telling people this. Um, but, you know, that's tough to do in those years. It is because, um, as we'll see, the uh, FDA sent a bunch of agents out, and they were they were trying to get in touch with the traveling salesmen for Massengill, who were like, you know, they didn't have cell phones. They would, you know, maybe leave a forwarding address at a hotel that you'd have to go shake down. And yeah, you go the road. You go, ch yeah, you go chase that down, and you'd find that they were already two cities beyond that last forwarding address, and um, and you're doing this in the context of like this. 
this race against the clock, that there's 240 gallons of this stuff out there and people are being prescribed it. And you're trying to find this traveling salesman who can point you in the direction of where these things were shipped to. Yeah, they also got in touch with Mass and Gill and they went, yeah, we know uh, it's killing people and we're trying to get it back too. We sent out these memos mm-hmm. and uh, on the wire and these telegrams saying that, you know, we'd like this stuff back and it could be dangerous. And then the FDA said, no, man, send different telegrams saying you have to do this. It is kill- killing people. Right. And they did. I mean, they they complied. You get the impression that the Massingo company was a rather reluctant partner to the FDA at the time. I would imagine, yeah. Um, But they did eventually do, they took all the right steps that the FDA was kind of directing them to. Um, And so the FDA sent out all those field agents, and the field agents would have trouble, you know, tracking down a salesperson. Sometimes when they got in touch with one of these salesmen, they would be worried about the company's image, so they would just not tell them who they sold these things to. And so they'd have to go through sales slips at, at, you know, pharmacies around the country. And um, when they would finally get in touch with doctors and pharmacists, they'd be worried about their own legal liability, so they wouldn't be forthcoming with any of this information, too. It must have just been really frustrating, you know? Yeah, I mean, so you've got doctors that aren't really cooperating. Some of them did. I think there was one story uh, that you found where a uh, a doctor actually postponed his wedding just to help find one patient whose family had moved to the mountains uh, with his sick kid and took a bottle of that stuff along that the doctor had given him. Uh, but, you know, some were more cooperative than others. I think the FDA they didn't have the teeth at the time that they do no. now, yeah. and they could not force a recall of a drug. Um, they were able to through sort of a loophole in that it was called Elixir in, on the label. It was labeled as such, but apparently unless uh, it contains alcohol, it's not an Elixir. Isn't that right? Yeah, it should have been called solution sulfonilamide. And Boom. the fact that they called it elixir meant that technically it was mislabeled. And the FDA did have the ability to seize drugs that were mislabeled under the 1906 Act. Yeah, but that was it. It was like getting Al Capone on tax evasion. They were able to get this this antibiotic back on this technicality that it was misnamed, but that's what they proceeded under. And so they were able to eventually get 234 gallons in one pint of the 240 gallons that had been produced. Yeah, a very great effort. Um, I think in the end, 105 uh, men, women, and kids were killed, I think. Uh, or, or was it, that's total, right? Yeah, 71 adults and 34 kids. Okay, and they said if they hadn't, I mean, if that loophole hadn't existed, that amount of liquid would have ended up killing about 4,000 people. Yeah, and I mean, depending on how they were prescribed, how much they were prescribed, um, they some of them died in two days, some of them took three weeks to die, and mm. they all died agonizing deaths. But the idea that, you know, thousands more people could have died had the FDA not been able to do something about it is pretty... You know, he's got to wipe your forehead with that one. Yeah. Um, Dr. Harold Watkins that we mentioned, the Massengill chief chemist, uh, he took his own life. Uh, very sadly, there was a lot of survival's guilt. A lot of physicians, as well as people that worked at, at Massengill, um, were just wrecked with guilt afterward for a long time. Um, one of the doctors from Mount Olive um, wrote to the president, to FDR, and said, please pass some more oversight measures 
over medicines uh, because six of my patients, including my best friend, are now dead because of what I gave them. Yeah, that doctor, I have to give a shout out, is quoted in a 1981 FDA Consumer Magazine article with the title, Taste of Raspberries, Taste of Death. <laughs> colon? No joke. That's it. <laughs> no colon? No colon comma instead. All right. It should have been colon, the rise and fall of the deadly elixir. <laughs> <Right>. Colon. <laughs> there was another death related to it too, Chuck. Um Remember how we were say you said that the FDA just didn't have any the teeth to yeah. to make to enforce this. Well, they got the teeth. There had been legislation kicking around in Washington to update that um, that 1906 Act, and um, when this happened, you know the public outcry was so much that it helped dislodge it and get it passed. But it was under the the championship of um, Senator Royal Copeland of New York, who sponsored that bill, and he dropped dead of exhaustion four days after it was passed. Whenever I see that, I think, and what else? <laughs> yeah. Like, how many and packs I, of cigarettes did he smoke? I think there was a what else for sure, but, you know, I mean, like, yeah. I think I think there was some truth to it. No, I, I believe. Agreed, though. I think that that was, I think that's wise to take diet of exhaustion as a grain of salt. Agreed. You got how anything much, else? How much salt did he eat? <laughs> you can die from salt. Just, <laughs> it has nothing to do with exhaustion. I got nothing else. Good one. Promise, uh, promise kept. Yes, fulfilled. The next day, even. Uh, And since uh, we're done, everybody, that means short stuff is out. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.